9 o'clock, hour 3, a B-Team edition. Happy Monday, Buckeye and Baked Goods with you here in for Jim. Jim doing every other day this week. Actually, he'll be here Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. You and I have Monday, Wednesday of this week. We go back to the Chick-fil-A text line with a good, a bad, the ugly from Dylan. And this one regards... It kind of all over the sports landscape. A little bit. The good. The Avs trading back for Jack Johnson and Jake Paul losing. The bad and the ugly, Milan Lucic and Curtis McDermott Saturday night during the Avs game. To be honest, I did not watch Saturday. I know they scored four. They beat the Flames. Doused the Flames. I didn't get to see the old uh, scrap them up. Neither did I. Oh, okay. Perfect. Uh, We will talk about the games themselves coming up here in just a minute. Also on the team line, good morning, team. This is from Robert. The Rockies should copy the Yankees, move the corners of the fences in to 250 feet, and sign a noted cheater in Garrett Cole, and then can appear in as many World Series as the Yankees since the start of the 2004 series. That's very interesting text uh, from Robert about Rockies uh, baseball prospectus this season. If they move the infi- the outfield corners of the fence in 100 feet, which is essentially what the Yankees do, they can play in as many World Series as the Yankees in the last 20 seasons. It's very interesting. Didn't think of it that way, but that's a very interesting way to, uh, to think about it. We talked about the Avs and the Nuggets. The Avs are uh, hot again. They are just completely putting the boots to people because do we uh, do we want the music? Oh yeah, d- uh, to d- d- you know, cue me up there, Mister DJ. It's like Madonna. Hey, Mister DJ, can you put the record on? Blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, they have surpassed Winnipeg. They are ahead of Winnipeg in points, seventy-one points apiece, but. They have uh, a more games in hand than Winnipeg, I guess, is what the deal is. Right. They're a point back in Minnesota. They have won five in a row, including nine goals in the most recent back-to-back. Wins over Winnipeg at Winnipeg and at home against the Calgary Flames. Let's start Friday night in Winnipeg. The Avs getting... Excuse me, getting five goals there as uh, they win that one by a score of five to one. I clicked on the wrong page, and uh, here we go. All right, they won five to one. They got goals from Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, JT Comfer, boo hiss, boo hiss, boo hiss, Bowen Byram, and Matt Nieto. Uh, old friend, Matt Nieto, back with the Avs for a while now. He got his 11th of the season. Miko Rantanen, oh, no biggie, 37 goals on the season. He also had an assist Alexander Georgiev, stopping 26 of 27 shots to pick up the win. Uh, Mason Appleton, the only tally for the Jets, who the Avs beat by a score a five to one, and, and then coming. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say in that Winnipeg win for the Avs, they had four goals on five shots at the first period, 
including the first 20 seconds where Nathan McKinnon just took it, ran with it, and blammo. Yep. Yeah, that was that was a good, good win Friday night. A good win on the road, tough Jets team, and they were able to uh, pick up a good win. And then the game last night, second period fight between Milan Lucic and Curtis McDermott. Both got uh, the five minutes in the box, as the uh, band is called, five for fighting for that particular reason. Also, uh, McDermott went to the box uh, one other time for showing a little bit too much leg, two minutes for hooking. Nathan McKinnon got a goal, Alex Newhook and Dennis Malgin for the Avalanche. Miko Rantanen, power play goal, 38, ding, ding, ding. Tyler Toffoli, the only net for uh, Calgary, Georgiev. Did not play, or no, he did play. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong team. 28 of 29 stopping stoppages for Georgiev. 4-1 win for the Colorado Avalanche. As I've mentioned, they have won five in a row. They're closing in on the Wild in the Central Division. One point back of the Wild, three points back of Dallas. Remember that conversation we were having about three weeks ago? Well, if the season ended now, the Avs wouldn't be in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, things are going much, much better. Much different. It helps when your stars are healthy and playing like stars to the tune of nine goals, which Avalanche head coach Jared Bednar says that was a pretty good weekend. I really like this weekend, especially because we got a little rest. You know, we got two practice days, a couple days of rest. We're able to sit down, do a little video with individuals, with the team. I thought the team was fantastic this weekend. Two really good, solid, complete games on both sides of the puck. The Avs take on Vegas tonight on the Team Sports Network. Coverage starts at 6.30. The Denver Nuggets, Saturday night, not great. No. They got roughed up by those pesky, somewhat violent Memphis Grizzlies. And it was not a very, very eye-pleasing basketball game to watch. And they lost 112-94 at Memphis. Nikola Jokic, 15 points. 10 or 15 points, 13 rebounds. He led all Nugget scores. Not good. With 15 points. That's not good. Michael Porter Jr. had two. A rare start for Vatko Chenchar. He had uh, two points. Michael Porter Jr. had five, rather. 23 for John Morant, which you come to know and expect. Dylan Brooks, Xavier Tillman Sr. had 12 each. And then 10 for Desmond Bain. Uh, 17 off the bench for Tyus Jones. 12 off the bench for Luke Kennard. And the Grizzlies, who I think played people that they had when they were back in Vancouver because they had a bunch of dudes get some playing time because they were up 20 late. They beat the Nuggets by a score of 94 to 112. It was an 18-point loss for the Nuggets while outscoring Memphis by 14 in the fourth quarter. That's how poor the first three quarters were. Very poor. Yeah, Memphis had... It was 66-44, 66-42 at the half, and then they outscored them in the third, 28-20. to 20. So, yeah, it was like 94-60-something to 60 something after three quarters. It was rough. Then the Nuggets bounced back. You could say that they got a nice rest because they kind of looked fresh last night. 
Nikola Jokic, we talked about 40-17-10. Michael Porter Jr., 29 points, 11 rebounds, and to my surprise, zero assists for Michael Porter Jr. Uh, he had, he was 12 of 18 from the floor. Jamal Murray took 22 shots. He made eight of them. He had 21 points. Bruce Brown had 13 off the bench. KCP back in action. Aaron Gordon back in action. They combined for 14 points in 37 and 28 minutes, respectively, for the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard, he played. That was kind of surprising to see him playing a regular season game. 33 points, 23 for Paul George. Russell Westbrook had 17. The aforementioned Bones Highland had 10 on 4 of 11 shooting for the Clippers, who won 134, were lost in overtime to the Nuggets, 134-124. Nikola Jokic, his 23rd triple-double of the season. The Nuggets are 23-0 when that happens, and... He's had 15, count them, 15 triple-doubles since New Year's Day. 99 for his career, which Mm -hmm. is the most all-time for his center. Watching that game last night, and I stayed up to watch the whole thing, which, eh, knowing that I had to be here early probably wasn't the best idea, but it was still fun. Hey, but you know, sometimes you got to do that. And I guess you could technically say it was for... Uh, our job purposes. It's work purposes, absolutely. Exactly. So I tell the wife, got to watch this game for work. For work. And the the sequence, I can't remember if it was, I think it was the fourth quarter. It was the one where Kawhi knocks the ball out of Jamal's hand basically twice, gets him all the way back past midcourt. So then Jamal has to take a midcourt heave to just get the ball towards the rim with the shot clock winding out. Mm-hmm. Nuggets get the rebound. Porter Jr. hits the three. I think that either gave him the lead or gave him the tie in late in the fourth or, or kept it close. And you're just watching it going, man, that was a wild sequence. Got the tie going into the fourth. I was scared bleepless that that Good long... Good usage of the bleeping. That that long, uh, you know, at the end of the game shot from, I think it was Paul George, who... It went in, but it was it was kind of Embiid like where it was it was just too late. Mm-hmm. It, I, someone tweeted out that said, "Not to be dramatic, but if that last shot had went in, I would have walked into traffic." Yeah, down one as uh, Plum Dog Millionaire, former Nugget, yeah, who didn't really get booed that much. No, he clanged the second free throw. Nuggets get the rebound. Nikola Jokic. Then you talk about that sequence. Jamal Murray, 43 feet. I like how you read the box score, and it's just like, oh, ho-hum, jump shot from 43 feet. That was a (laughs) heave. That was a prayer. KCP gets the rebound. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. gets the three-pointer off of the dish from Jamal Murray to give the Nuggets a lead, 128-118. Then they went down, and KCP got called for a foul on Paul George. Yeah, say what you want about yeah. that. Uh, Paul George makes both of them were tied, and then the Nuggets go in and score the first nine points of overtime. Free throw, a triple, a triple, and then a bucket by the Joker. It was 129-120 with three minutes left, and that was pretty much all she wrote. The Clippers couldn't close the gap from there. So the Nuggets pick up the win. They are still your Western Conference leaders 
as they're 43 and 19 on the season. Clippers fall to 33 and 30. The loss to the Grizzlies closes the gap to six games, or rather five and a half in the West. They're up seven in the win column. They have a four-game advantage in the loss column, so it's a five-and-a-half game lead, essentially, for the Nuggets. And uh, if you're kind of looking around, they would get the eight seed after the play-in tournament for uh, the Western Conference. Golden State, Utah, Minnesota, and the Pelicans, kind of all in that schmoz. Portland's a game out. Dallas, Clippers, and Phoenix are a game, game or two up of that eight spot because there's three teams with 31 wins right now, Golden State, Utah, Minnesota. So kind of in that five, four or five game schmoz there, Oklahoma City, L.A., Portland, New Orleans, Minnesota, Utah, Golden State, Dallas, Clippers, Phoenix. So it could really be anybody. It really could. <laughs> this is essentially what I'm trying to say. We know it's not going to be San Antonio, Houston, or Memphis because they're all still too good. Sacramento. Ten games above 500, third in the Western Conference. Those are the days. Those are the days. Uh, Boston, uh, still best record in the NBA, 44-17. and 17. They're a half game up of Milwaukee. Philadelphia and Cleveland have 39 wins. Those scrappy, who are they Nets? Still chugging along in the fifth seed over in the Eastern Conference. Right now, 34-26. and 26. And they're talking about it right now on the four-letter. The question is, Nikola Jokic running away with NBA MVP for what would be the third time in his career, third straight. Mm-hmm. The odds-on favorite right now, he is minus 350 to be the NBA's, once again, most valuable player. Yeah, and there there was a tweet by Chris Mannix over the weekend, and I'm trying to pull it up, talking about how... Essentially, Nikola Jokic is going to win his third MVP. Now, there's a ton of people, again, in the replies. I got into the replies, which Don't is do that. dumb. I know. That was stupid of me. But there was a uh, a tweet, and I'm trying to find it because he also covers like boxing, and so he was talking a lot about that. But it was over the weekend, essentially, how Nikola Jokic is pretty much going to be the MVP again and it's not even really close with Joel Embiid. So Mark Jones of ESPN put out, Joel Embiid is the MVP. This is Friday night. Six blocks. I know some other MVP candidates wouldn't have gone viral on John Morant, blocking John Morant on this play. Keep fooling yourself if you want. And Maddox replies, the problem with the anti-Jokic crowd isn't that they favor another player. It's they think everyone that favors Jokic is stupid. Jokic had 24-18-13 last night against two elite big men in a close win over a top-five record-wise team. Do we just ignore that? Now, that was after Thursday's win in Cleveland. So the Nuggets played three games in four days. They uh, lost. They beat Cleveland. They lost to Memphis. And then they beat the uh, Clippers in overtime. All three playoff teams, top-five in the East, Second in the West, top five in the West. Joker had 24, 18, and 13. Michael Porter Jr. had 25 to lead the Nuggets. 115-109 winners Thursday over the Cavs, my Cavs. 
And what he says is, do we just ignore how Jokic has played against other big men? And a lot of people are like, well, head-to-head, Joel Embiid dominated him. And my argument to that, my rebuttal, if you will, is your MVP should not be decided on a single game against the other candidate head-to-head. Right. It's, That's not the point of the MVP. It's it's not. And also, and I, I don't know how loud this crowd is necessarily, but I think there are still some out there that are going to point to, well, you know, they've never made it to the finals. The they've Giannis never, argument. The, right. And, and to that I say, the NBA MVP award is a regular season award. Yes. We, we often forget that. And, you know, I, I get why. I get why people are, are quick mm-hmm. to point out, because that's all, it, all like that matters. All of your MVP awards are regular season awards. Exactly. Football announces them midway through the playoffs. Basketball, you get them right at the end. Hockey, you get them during the playoffs. Major League Baseball, you get them around Thanksgiving, which just doesn't make sense. But, uh, yeah. you know, they're all regular season awards, and should it go to the best player on the best team? Not necessarily. But if that team was significantly worse without that player... Which the Nuggets are. Which the Nuggets would be. Which the Sixers would be as well. The Memphis Grizzlies... Not that much worse with John Morant, right? So that's why he's not really in the conversation. Jason Tatum, maybe. Giannis, sure. The Cavs without Donovan Mitchell, yeah, maybe. You know, but with Phoenix, without Devin Booker for a stretch, they're still right there in the conversation for being a home team in the first round of the playoffs. So can you really give it to him? Luka, I don't know. He doesn't miss a lot of games, so you don't really see how bad the Mavericks are without him. The Nuggets are a 500 team without Nikola Jokic, I think. At best, I think. You know, they're probably closer to 30 and 30 than 43 and 19 without Nikola Jokic. So is that where valuable comes into play? For me, it is. Right. Most valuable player. How many... That's a war argument. I know that's an analytics and not everybody loves... I don't really buy into that as well because war can sometimes argue against eye test, right? Right. But is Nikola Jokic's substitute going to be able to make the team as good as Nikola Jokic? And that's a no, and that means he's a more valuable player. Most in the league, I don't know. I, I don't subscribe to the... He's got to win a title if he wants three. I'm with you there. I'm also pushing back on the the altitude people with the, well, I mean, this just this is ridiculous. There's one basketball player and a bunch of other jabronis in the league, and the one basketball player is Nikola Jokic. It's like they're not zero-sum. Right. Nikola Jokic can be great and also not the MVP this season. Statistically, should he be the MVP? Yes. He's averaging a triple-double. Russell Westbrook did that and won the MVP when he's not the most valuable player. He's can actively be a detriment to his team when he has the ball in his hands. And I recall that year that he won when he was averaging a triple-double. That was not a very good Thunders team. Not really. Thunder team. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. You know, but he is he was a 2016-17 MVP. He averaged a triple double, 31-10 and 10. Nikola Jokic isn't going to average 31 points. But Oklahoma City that year, 47 and 35. They finished 6th in the West and lost in the first round to the Rockets in 5 games, a gentleman's sweep. That's not a great outcome. No. Now, do I think the Nuggets need to do something this year in the postseason? A deep run into the Western Conference Finals, at least get to six or seven games? Yes. Absolutely. Them not doing it does not negate Nikola Jokic's value. I just think that it will then remove him from the conversation as some of the game's greats because, well, yeah, he won three MVPs, but the team doesn't really do anything. Right. Bro. Bruh. You know, so I don't know. I think you can be independent of the argument of, well, it's either Jokic or Embiid. And the Nuggets can still underachieve, if that makes any sense. Right. You know, so I, I'm i kind of in the middle of the Mannix crowd and the anti-Jokic crowd. Like, yes, Nikola needs to do something in the playoffs. They need to win, but that is a legacy Springfield, how you're remembered in 30 years type discussion. Right. Him needing to do something this year with this team. The can he win MVP again? That is this year regular season specific. I agree with you on that point. It's a regular season award. If in the 82 games he is the most valuable player, then he should be the MVP, right? Yeah. He's averaging a triple-double. You take him away from the team. You take away, at this point in the season, 10 to 15 losses? Probably. So, yeah. And if you can take Joel Embiid away and they lose more games because of it, then he should be in that conversation too. I don't think it's head and shoulders that Nikola Jokic 100% has to be the MVP because of what he's doing this season. But he's definitely, it's not a, well, he's got to win something or he's not going to get another one. Like Giannis a couple years ago, Giannis probably should have had the MVP the first of Jokic's back-to-back. Right. But he didn't because they moved on to a new story. We move on to other stories. High school basketball last weekend, CMU, lots of stuff going on for the Mavericks. We'll talk about it all next on the Jim Davis Show, Colorado sports leader, the team. Touchdown every morning. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado sports leader, the team. Nine twenty-six, hour three. Buckeye and baked goods on a B team edition of the Jim Davis Show, and it was a busy, busy weekend this last weekend. It started Thursday at Western. The CMU men and women getting big, big wins over the uh, Western Colorado Mountaineers, and so that gets both teams into. The Armac tournament. The women are the seven seed. They won five or six of their last seven Armac games to get in. They play at two seed Colorado School of Mines coming up tomorrow night. The two teams split the season series. The Ore Diggers waiting at Brownson Arena to open the conference slate in December. Mavericks win in Golden February the 10th. As for the men, 
nine-game winning streak to end the season, paired with the Fort Lewis loss in the final day of the regular season. Thank you, Colorado School of Mines. Yes. Gives the Mavericks a share of the Armac crown, and via tiebreakers, they will host the tournament as long as they play in it. They start tomorrow night at Brownson Arena. When they host Metro, the two teams also split their season series, both road teams picking up the win. So here's what coverage is going to look like. The women play from Golden, 5.30 tomorrow night on the Team Sports Network. We'll have it at 5.15 from the RMAC Network, the folks at uh, School of Mines doing the feed for us. That'd be fantastic. And then Jim Davis will be out at Brownstown Arena for the Maverick men taking on Metro State. That tip-off is at 7, so there's going to be some overlap. Soon as the women go final, we'll get you out to Brownstown Arena so you can catch the remainder of the men game, the men's game with the Maverick and Metro State. You shouldn't miss much more than eight or ten minutes of the first half, if that much. But that's the best way to get as much possible games on that we can work here within the confines of the Radio Ranch here that, that we have to work on. Yes. So there is that. CMU baseball team was on the road at Northwest Nazarene. They dropped three of four. In their lone win Friday, three RBI from Max Valdez, two more from Harrison Rogers. Cannon Handy struck out 13 to get his first win. Mavericks, first time they've allowed runs in the first inning this year, did it twice. A six spot on Thursday and a five spot in the second game on Friday. Mavericks softball team, they took three of four games from Black Hill State. They dropped, or they won the first two games Saturday, uh, 10 to 1. And twenty two to one. Then they won the nightcap ten to two on Sunday, losing the first game six to five on Sunday. So they they beat Black Hills forty two to four across three games and lost the other one by a score of six to five. Four Mavericks wrestlers are on to the national tournament uh after they competed at the super regional Saturday. They send Dawson Collins at 125, Colin Metzger at 133, Ryan Weaver at 157, and Cash Anderson at 197. They're into the national tournament there. And then uh, at the track RMAC championships, the CMU women's track and field team finished third. Redshirt freshman Jordan Bennett took home a pair of individual titles. Our seamates Sierra Arsenault and Keanu Jackson took second in their races on the men's side. Two Maverick runners broke their own school records and came away with silver, Zayden Davis and Dane Ortega, both setting new CMU marks, Davis in the 60-meter hurdle, Ortega in the 400-meter. I did that again. 400-meter. CMU's Justin Thompson also took home a silver. Mavs, as a team, finished sixth place at the conference championships. And on the high school basketball court Friday, the Fruit of Monument girls saw their season come to an end, losing at Doherty 56-46. Addison Air led all scores with 15 points. And after the game, J.J. Valentine, who did the game for us, did a fantastic job, had a chance to chat with the head coach, Jeff Johnson. Come away with a 56-46 win over the Wildcats of Fruit of Monument. We're joined in the postgame show by Jeff Johnson, head coach. Coach, as we were just talking about it, the girls competed throughout in this one. You know, you're on the road. And when you get down double digits, makes it a little bit tough when you have to play from behind. You exert a lot of energy after a long trip like that. But 
I thought the girls competed real well. Your thoughts on the game tonight? Yeah, I, I think we competed real well. We gave everything we had. Uh, you, you could tell the girls are disappointed, which, yeah, we should be. Uh, we thought we had a chance to win this game, uh, still one on the road. But like you said, not only are we on the road, but we're in the playoffs on yep. the road. Uh, so it's getting <laughs> double hard. Uh, but they played their hearts out. Um, I can't be more proud in this group uh, as my first group here at Berta. Um couple of great seniors that we did say farewell to with Ryan and Savannah. Uh, what do they mean to this program? You've only had a year with them, but talk about them as the senior leaders on this team. Just their leadership. Uh, they included everybody. And I've seen places and teams where, oh, I'm a senior member than all you. I don't have to interact uh, and be your pal, your friend. Um, they were coaching up their teammates, helping them out. Um, they played a lot of basketball, a lot of varsity minutes uh, over the years, and so they have those those little tricks, and I, I call them the old man rules or old man games, where uh, just from playing, you know how to read certain things, and that they they we're going we're going to miss them a lot. You know, when you play with that kind of commitment to the game, and they were smiling throughout, even though they were in some adversity in tight situations. They're still smiling, playing the game of basketball. When you play with love and joy like that, things, good things just come of it. Good things happen. And that's the legacy that you leave, that you can play the game that you love. And I think that shows the underclassmen there that, you know what, we're out here playing basketball, having fun, and we're in the playoffs. Right now we're in the Sweet 16. How many teams and players would love to be right where we are right now? Right. Um, you know, because uh, we knocked a lot of teams out of playoff contention. Absolutely. Um, and. We got a home game. Uh, we won at our place, got travel down here. Yeah, we came up a little short, but, uh, I mean, once again, if you asked me back in uh, September or even May when I got the job, hey, you're going to be at 19-5 and five or something like that, <laughs> all right, let's go with that. That's, that's going to be a successful Put that on paper. I'll take that any time, uh, right? Right. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would love to be in our shoes where you're playing in the Sweet 16. Uh, we're not in the lead eight, but once again, there's only eight teams. And then there's one before, two, and only one team can be the champion uh, in the state, uh, especially with this new 6A level. Um, and so uh, it, it's competitive, it's going to be hard, and, and it, it, it's going to be a growing moment for our young players. But the kids grew up a lot here tonight, and you talked about that off microphone in the pregame show. The simple fact of the matter is that this is going to be a big one, win or lose. We're going to be able to take a lot from that. There's a lot of positives you can take. So I know you've got to get with your girls in the locker room. What is going to be that final message in the locker room when you talk with your team? Uh, just how much we love these girls. They've, they've done everything we've asked them to do uh, on and off the court. Um, they've been very coachable. Uh, they've coached each other. They've in, uh, brought up each other. Uh, we've, we've never had any big spats. I mean, to me, it's like a family. You're always going to have a couple buttheads every once in a while, but we're family, we're battling together, and I think we did a great job of doing that all year. Coach, congratulations getting to the Sweet 16, so it'll be back to the drawing board, and you've got a lot to work with coming back next year. It's going to be a lot of fun for you, isn't it? It'll be a blast, uh, <laughs> and so now we've got to figure out uh, ways to get better over the summer, what camps to go to, and uh, just to continue to improve individually and, and as a team. That's Wildcats head coach Jeff Johnson after the game talking with J.J. Valentine after they fell to Doherty. The Wildcats season ends at 19-5. and On the boys' side, their season came to an end as well. 
They lost at Smoky Hill in Aurora on Saturday, 77 to 59. The Buffaloes outscored Fruita Monument 21 to 6 in the second quarter of an otherwise really tight game. And after the game, uh, our buddy Matt Meyer, who did the game for us, had a chance to chat with Jake Aguera. So you guys were going toe-to-toe there in the first quarter. It seemed like in the second, the, the foul started to mount um, and kind of changed some of the things you guys were doing. Is that kind of your read on, on what made the difference in the game a little bit? Um, yeah, man. I mean, DT picked up his third and and it with like five minutes to go in the second, and that's a big difference for us. The other guys did what they could. Um, I can't take a single thing away from that team, man. That team is for real. Um, so... You know, we got a lot of growing and a lot to learn off of that thing, but the way the guys battled, what do you, what do, you do, man? I mean, we are just a little overmatched, and and once we kind of started losing guys to foul trouble, it was one of the things we talked about. We could not let that happen, and it did, and, and you know, that's where it went. What can you kind of take away from that first quarter where you guys were able to go toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the state? Uh, it's, there's way more of the game than the first quarter, so it was nice to do that, but... That thing has to go for the whole game. And like I said, man, we just were a little overwhelmed. You know, we can't really simulate that trap and see it in practice and their size and everything. So, you know, that's what it is with the matchups. When you get a team, you just don't match up with. But yeah, the first quarter was better than all the other ones. But you know what? I mean, it got to a point where, you know, you knew where you were at and what those guys were doing out there. I mean, you know, you just had to kind of sit back. If I would have had some popcorn, man, I would have really enjoyed that thing. But I love these guys. I love my guys. Yeah. They played hard. They care about each other. So what, what can you do? You guys just, I'm just proud to be their coach. You guys got a lot of freshmen and sophomores, younger guys kind of up and down the rotation. What can they take away from this playoff run, not just this game, but, but being able to kind of push deeper into the playoffs this year? Well, the one thing we, you know, coming into this thing, we, we wanted to, you know, make a push either sweet 16 elite eight would have been really nice um because the more that these guys see the more that you know going into the future that they can be ready for this um you know we're actually going to have to play more games down here with these guys um because it's just a totally different game down here than over in the western slope so um I think it was great for the young boys to see. We have a bunch of juniors as well. It was great for them to see. A lot of these guys were first-time varsity guys. You know what I mean? So for them to make this push and do what they did, man, I mean, they gave everything they had. So, um, you know, every bit that you can get, everything that you can see, you know, in the playoffs is going to be good for these guys moving forward. We told them, you know, you got a lot. You got to work on a lot of stuff if you want to be a great basketball player. So, guys seem willing, and you know that'll be that'll be for a couple of weeks. Later, but you got you guys do have a younger team, but there are some seniors kind of through there. What what do those guys mean to this program? And, and I guess how do you feel about the, them kind of heading out into the wider world? Um, they're great dudes. We had guys come in that were just leaders for these young guys, and they got to see it. I'm sorry, man. No, it's um, The leadership that, like, Ian Summers brought, the toughness that Logan Cardoza brought. You know, Luke Rollins was, was – he was cut as a sophomore and just battled for the last two years to be a part of this thing. So, yeah, guys like that, you got a guy that, that you know, kind of sat at the end of the bench but just chose to be there for his teammates all year long. And so we're going to miss those guys tremendously. I mean, they, what they did for these young guys, showing them how to be tough, got to be tough, how to fight for each other. 
That's, I mean, we'll, hopefully they'll see that and they'll carry on their legacy. Awesome, Coach. Anything else you want to add about this game or anything else that stuck out? No, man. I just, you know, it's, it's good to be a Wildcat. We had a great year. We had a great We can't overlook that because of, because of this game. We're just a little outmatched. So great season, great group of guys. So hopefully, you know, this thing will keep moving forward for them. Fruta's season ends at 21-3. and three. They were Southwestern League champion in those chats. Brought to you by the Rick Nelson Agency and American Family Insurance. For a free comparison, call this team a licensed professionals. 970-241-0078-970-241-0078 on the phone line for a special agent, Rick Nelson. Nice. Very special agent, yes. Rick Nelson, uh, big-time listener to the show. We appreciate uh, his earballs and sponsorship and the whole thing with the uh, the whole team there at uh, American Family Insurance. And as we uh, grow ever closer to the end of the show, Pyle, you are about to be relieved of uh, my voice because Jim will be back tomorrow, and then he's gone on Wednesday. And so I'm back here on Wednesday but right now, it is time for uh, this day in sports history. I had the. Sender. I've got the thing over here if you need I it. I moved it all. I moved all my stuff around this morning, and I didn't bother to look to see where they all went. So if you want to hit it for me there, I got you. That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. Back in time. I don't even know where, where it went. That's. That's an e me on moving all of my stuff around this morning. That was a very stupid thing to do. But uh, this day in sports history, 1982, the horse Dan Issel hits on his 63rd consecutive free throw. That was a very, very good accomplishment. And then 1984, world indoor record of the long jump. 8.675 meters set by Olympian and singer Carl Lewis. Uh-oh. He set the record this day in 1984. I just did that to pop you because we talked about it this weekend. 1987, Mike Conley Sr., he of the uh, dad of former Ohio State Buckeye and bounce around NBA guy, Mike Conley Jr., Sr. set the indoor world record for triple jump. In New York City, wow, 17.76 meters. That was also the same day that SMU football got the death penalty. Cancels the entire season for gross violations. Uh, not gross in ickiness, gross in scope is what the gross violations. Right. 1988, Bonnie Blair wins the Olympic 500-meter speed skating in a record time of 39.1 seconds. It was this day in uh, 2007, Edmonton Oilers retired the number 11 of Mark Messier. That is this day in sports. We'll take a break, come back with more Jim Davis Show, put a bow on it, garbage time, and, you know, otherwise just kind of wrap it up next. It's the Team Sports Network. Who do I listen to? The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader. Whoever suggested that has got to be smoking crack and plenty of it. The team. Welcome back to the Jim Davis Show. Buckeye and Baked Kids with you here. 946. Was this the Eagles? 
Uh, Don uh, Henley? Red Rider, Lunatic Fringe. Oh, Lunatic Fringe. My bad. I should have known that. It's all good. Oh, well. Whatever. Whiffed on the music. Which I feel I know a little bit more about than even sports. And that's saying a lot. Because I know a lot of random crap about sports. Just ask my wife. Um, Saw the video of the uh, shot by Michael Porter Jr., KCP, top of the key. They left Michael Porter Jr. wide open. Dumb idea to do. Wide open on the left wing, and he goes ahead and knocks it down, and then the Nuggets with the foul, and then they allow the two free throws on the other side of it, and they end up tying the game, but they win in overtime nonetheless. So the Nuggets are uh, back off the losing skid, which they got beat up in uh, Memphis pretty good. Coming up on the Team Sports Network today, you have Grapefruit, or not Grapefruit, Cactus League Baseball, my bad. Let's try that again. Take two. Coming up on the team today, (laughs) Rockies at Oakland, or taking on Oakland. Not sure where this is being played, but it is Cactus, I almost did it again, Cactus League Baseball. 1255 pregame coverage on the Team Sports Network with Jack and Jerry. Heard you guys had Jerry on a week or so ago? We did. and a great chat. And uh, always great to chat with Jerry Schemmel. I love that guy. What a sweet, sweet man that guy is. And host of Amazing Americans yep, every Saturday right here, Saturday on the Team Sports Network. He was at one point going to be the speaker at the Junior College World Series banquet a couple years ago. And that was, I think, pre I think it was pre-COVID, and then it was either it was either pre-COVID or post-COVID. But he was uh, rehired by the Rockies, kind of following that. Yes. So either way, that got back. I really missed out on enjoying that conversation because Jerry's story is insane. Insane. It is nuts. It is. You take it to Hollywood. Even the Rock would be like, "Come on, this is not believable." It's it's really surviving a plane crash. You know, he's been both a coach at the collegiate level. He's done professional play-by-play. I mean, he's done a lot. His story is incredible. Hopefully hopefully everybody at some point uh, gets to hear Jerry Schimmel's story. But you guys had him on. He's going to be with doing the Rockies game uh, coming up with Oakland today on the Team Sports Network. Tonight, Vegas in Denver, the Golden Knights in town to take on the Colorado Avalanche. Coverage starts at 6.30. Uh, puck drop, face-off, however you want to call it, a little after 7 o'clock from Ball Arena. That's coming up uh, tonight on the Team Sports Network. I found out where spring training game today is going to be played at. Okay. Arizona? Ho- well, yes. Yeah. But nailed it. Specifically, Hohokam Stadium. Oh, Hohokam. Hohokam. Yes. That is uh, so Rockies road game in the grays or the purples or whatever, right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. It is a. I mean, it is a road game. Yes, it is on a the, road game on the scoreboard at least. So I don't know if it's going to be split squad or whatever. Uh, Steve on the text line, of course. We've talked a lot of music today. Steve usually chimes in on that as well as the sportsing stuff. Lunatic Fringe from the movie Vision Quest, a pretty good wrestling movie now is this wrestling is last year i spent more money on spilt liquor 
in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. Or is that like a real wrestling movie? Like actual pick people up and dump them on their head type, you know, right? Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, collegiate wrestling type movie. I'm uncertain. I've not seen Vision Quest. So, Steve, if you could hook us up. I, one of these points, I want to do just essentially an entire hour on non-sports things. I know it's a sports show, but I, you know, right. music, movies, that sort of thing. That may be a summer thing. That, Who knows? I was going to say, that's probably... I'll have to pitch that. That's probably a post-Juco, when Jim's not here thing. Oh, yeah. Nope, you're right. We won't even pitch it. We'll just do it when Jim's not here, because he doesn't listen when he's not here. Uh, from Paul on the uh, text line, that Avs game will be a good game tonight. Avs need to step up. Yes, and we'll have it. Connor McGahey, Mark Bertinoli with the studio work. Connor with the puck drop about 7 on the Team Sports Network. So let's let's do the thing. Let's get into... Uh... We're taking out the trash. It's garbage time on the Jim Davis Show on the team. Oh, I love trash. I got those, at least. So there is that. There is that. So, Brandon Miller at Alabama. Yeah. We've been talking about this for a while now. He is a phenomenal basketball player, but he's kind of being enabled. Of course, he's the one that drove the car with the guy. If you hear Nate Oates and Alabama say it, he drove to pick up his friend, not knowing there was a gun in the car, what would happen if you listen to you know prosecutors in the shooting death of the young lady. They're like, well, the Miles kid texted him to bring his gun. And Brandon Miller arrives with said gun. Uh, well, how does that work out? How does that, you know, track with the, he didn't know there was a gun in the car. Right. Okay. Well, Brandon Miller's pregame introductions includes a pat down. When they do go through, you know, the handshake. Now there's a pat, there was a pat down. Uh, for weapons. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Now, Nate Oates learned of the incident after the game. And did he say he'll be putting a stop to it? Mm, yes. Mm. But here's the thing. He says in his defense that this has been something that Brandon Miller has been doing all season. The shooting was five weeks ago. Ugh. Why is he continuing to let that go on? Come on, man. He is Rob Manfred on another level. Seriously. Never missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Like, man alive, Seriously. are you serious? Good night of living. It's like, man... Oh, he does the pat down. Yeah, we're that's probably a bad look, so we're gonna stop doing that. But he's done it all season. And Dude. that shooting was five weeks ago. Dude. Not cool. That's it's just insane the level of out of touchness yeah. that Nate Oates has. Like, are you serious? Yeah. There are other words that go in that sentence that I can't say, even though we have a dump button over here. 
you don't want to use it on yourself, though. Well, because it would take up all 20 seconds of the delay. Right. <laughs> Not good. Are you serious? You got anything in the last minute here? I got a couple things. All right. Uh, your Cleveland Browns owner, Jimmy Haslam, is diversifying his portfolio. I'm a dumbass. With the purchase of the Milwaukee Bucks. For really? $3.5 billion. Well, hopefully you enjoy that championship, Milwaukee, that you had because you're done. <laughs> And in college baseball news, real quick, Northern Kentucky, did you see this? No. Liam McFadden-Ackman of Northern Kentucky hit not one, but two grand slams in the first inning. He went Fernando Tatis Sr., the pair of grand slams in the inning. In the first inning. Mm -hmm. I'll, uh, to kind of, if we have any Bucks fans in the last 20 seconds here, I'll give you kind of a heads up. Jimmy Haslam is one of those people that there is no possible way he is that stupid on accident. He is that stupid on purpose. I'll just give you that. Jim is back tomorrow. It's a regular Tuesday edition. Wyatt Thompson, Mav Day, the whole shebang, and then it's another B-team on Wednesday. But that's after tomorrow. Join us at 7 on the team.